uh, Diana, come here for a second. Okay. I want to see your skull. Okay. I'm going to measure the bumps on your head. Okay. Because I'm worried that you're a psychopath. Is this funny? This is funny because we're going to talk about a phrenology oh, today. Oh, I get it. Yeah, I'm becoming a phrenologist. Oh, wait, I'm going to hold on. I'm going to go get the phrenology head. Go get the phrenology okay, head. Okay, hold on. It's our mascot, our phrenology head, Fern. I had to take the hat off of it. I know. I got my phrenology head for one of his birthdays, I think. And then I, I love this so much. Now it's a hat. It's a hat holder. holder. But also, I'm using it to diagnose you. Okay. What did I get? You had some. Let me look at Fern's map right now. You had some bulges. Mm hmm. Oh, you had a bulge in the back left half, which means you've been married before. Before. <laughs> and you have a bulge on your ear. Which is either a pimple or mastoid processing. You have a large right bulge, which is, what is it? Uh, it's big penis. <laughs> what does it really say? Intuitive reasoning? No, this big fucking thing right here. Hold on. Selfish sentiments. Oh, thanks. The giant thing on the side. Yeah, it's the biggest one. So, Which would now be our temporal lobe. For today's podcast, we are going to... Welcome back to... Rev Rev Sykes. Sykes. You have a bump on your left temple, which is desire for liquids. Really? Yeah. Good. Thirst. So we're going to do a mini-sode on phrenology. Great. Phrenology. Friend. The origin of phrenology. Friendology. The study of friends. (laughs) All right. Tune in next week. So this is the mapping of the bumps on the head. We'll take a picture of it. We'll take a picture of it. We'll we'll send a picture of our heads and this head and you can diagnose us. It'll be fun. Mike has a big head and wears a small head. (laughs) I have a giant head. So the origins of phrenology. Phrenology comes from some good science Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that then later become bad science. Mm -hmm. A couple of true things. Okay. One, the brain is where your mind lives. The brain is where your mind... Well, is it? Yeah. I don't know. You have your thoughts in your brain. You have a lot of serotonin in your gut. Yeah, but we're talking about like thoughts, reasoning. Okay, okay. All right. So that was like the origin of uh, phrenology is that your head houses your brain. Yeah, okay. Also, the brain has localized specific functions. So even at that point, we knew that because... What what years are we talking about? 1200? BC era. Oh. So I'm talking about... We've had the study of the brain, the mm-hmm. study of the mind for a very long time. Yeah. And there is a lot of understanding that mm-hmm. we still mm-hmm. hold mm-hmm. true. Things like the brain is in your head and we think with our brain. Well, they could have just opened up a dead body and found that out. Well, that's how a lot of this early stuff yeah. was. Like yeah. you, you crack it open, totally. you see, look at this. Yep. Also, there was some early stuff looking at a person acts like an asshole and they die. You crack their brain open. And then you're like, oh, look at this mushy part. I'm guessing that that was causing them to be an asshole. Yeah. But then things go off the rails a little bit. Mm-hmm. So there was mm-hmm. a dude named Franz Josef Gall. Mm-hmm. He said, if you measure the... Well, so first he said... So what year was he? Early 1800s. Okay, I just love timelines. Perfect. Early 1800s, Franz Josef Gall said, hey, you know what? The skull is like what? the glove for your brain. And when I put a glove on my hand, I can see what my fingers kind of look like. The glove if The glove fits. fits. You must have quits. <laughs> so he said... I probably can measure the bumps on your head uh-huh. and tell you what your brain probably totally, looks like. Because bones um, around your brain are totally going to reflect what's underneath. Yeah, absolutely. You're yep. completely correct. 100%. Thank you. Thank you. And so Gall said also, he goes, he you know the, what? He had the gall to say He that. had the gall. He also said, I'm going to one up it. We don't have just one brain. We have 27 brains. Oh, totally. Right? Yeah. He said that How we did have... He not, did he not look at a dead body? Well, he said... The brain isn't one thing. Oh, it's 27 It's 27 things. little, little things. things. Of it, 
there's 19 little sub organs totally. that all mammals share. And then humans have eight unique sub organs that mm-hmm. make us different. Mm-hmm. He said that if, if or we measure the size of your head, if we use calipers to look at the little bumps and grooves, I can tell you what you most likely do as well as what you're more likely to do later on. Mm-hmm. A larger area means you use it more or it's easier for you to use it. So like you said selfish sentiment which is incorrect because i'm selfless as fuck but Mm. if i had a bump there it means that i'm probably often selfish which means i have a really jacked muscular part of that brain of mine gall early 1800s he was a lecturer Mm -hmm. on anatomy okay and then he hooked up with this guy named spurzheim like sexually yeah they kissed by 1814 they started to really develop this idea of mapping the head okay and basically from the very beginning this stuff was just a money-making scheme. So right now what you're saying is the only science they got right is that the brain is in the head. Yes. Okay. So yes. when you said earlier that they had some real science and some fake science, it's basically location of organ. Correct. Okay. Around 1814, they started to spread their mappings through the UK and America. Okay. But basically it was all through mass-produced pamphlets uh-huh. that they would market towards the middle and working class people. Basically, what their whole idea was like... Who could diagnose? You had to get specially trained, trained. to do okay. it. Okay. But what their whole money-making scheme was, I'm going to show you these mappings. I'm going to market this science to you. And they had this whole sales campaign that was basically having scientific knowledge makes you more sophisticated and much mm. more likely to be successful. Okay. And they were really targeting working class people to be like, If you want to be rich, you got to know what your brain bumps mean. Mm. And so they started to mass produce and sell these brain mapping pamphlets and would pass them out. They did a lot of pop psychology lectures. They're basically snake oil salesmen. What's their background? Are they psychologists? They were uh, anatomists and (laughs) biologists. And so a lot of their early stuff was actually like actual science. They would do a lot of lectures on brain stuff. But at this time, there's also no real good scientific method or inquiry. Uh, Is that true? Yes, it is true. Because that's the next thing I'm going to say is about that. When was Darwin? Mid 1800s? Yeah, probably. Darwin was born in 1809. Okay. All right. So So he he was later. Okay. He was three when this was happening. Yeah. Their idea, it took off like crazy. It became very popular, even to the point where Queen Victoria and Prince Albert hired early phrenologists to map the heads of their children to see which ones to like but like bumps change in your head yeah but you're saying this from a scientific standpoint but like but it's interesting how they like how did they convince whatever doesn't matter they convinced because it was just mass spreading of information okay i want to say too i know this is a mini so but Quickly, it doesn't matter if we have a fucking scientific method or not, because there are still people to this day who sell and pack package and sell things like this. Right. But it was even worse way back at that time because there was no there's no one coming out against it because there's no testing of it. Sure. So their idea spread really quickly because they were mass producing these pamphlets and they were basically shilling them for like a couple pennies a piece. Mm -hmm. And so everyone had these things. Everyone was using them Mm -hmm. and they were just selling like, you need to know this, you need to know this. Meanwhile, elsewhere in science, the scientific procedure and the standards for what is scientific evidence was being codified and agreed upon. Mm -hmm. And so in the Victorian society, everyone saw this as like good science and they were trying to use this as the basis for science. By the 1840s, there was 28 different unique societies. Mm, So there's about like a thousand people 
that were claiming to be an expert in this. Where they all have different maps of the yes. head and stuff. And that's the starting of it all breaking apart. Oh. Was that there was no real good agreement on how many sub organs there were. Hmm. So the, the hmm. number spanned from 27 up to about like 38 or 39. You know, it's interesting. It's kind of like religion and that never fell apart. Yeah. Yeah. And that's scientifically found. Uh, but also, so as it starts to pick up in popularity, uh-huh. people also started to use this in politics and lawmaking. Sure. So there is an Italian phrenologist. I can, see, I can foresee so much racism. Oh, stay tuned. Okay. An Italian phrenologist, he basically brought this to the Italian government. Mm-hmm. It was like, we need to use this to identify problems in society early and yep. remove them from society. Okay. Oh, like epigenetics? Yeah, basically. Okay. And I mean, not epigenetics. What's it called? The social cleansing? No. When you, oh, fuck, what is that called? When you don't let people have kids. Eugenics. Eugenics, yes. There, there Essentially. We go. This is becoming popular much more quickly than scientific inquiry is developing. But as scientific inquiry gets better, people start to test the specifics of this science and start to chip away until they're like, oh, this is all garbage. But this paved the way for research and questioning in things like anthropology and forensics mm-hmm, and neurology mm-hmm. because every one of those elements, it was woefully incorrect in. Yeah. But by proving it wrong, we were able to find out really good stuff. Thanks for knowledge. Thanks for knowledge. And so it started to fade Mm -hmm. in the like late 1800s as scientific inquiry is like, oh, this is kind of garbage. But early 20th century. Revitalized. Phrenology 2.0. Yes. Racist edition. Yeah. And so Hey-o. it became a it had a huge comeback in Sweet. the fields of evolution okay. and criminology. Great. 1930s. Mm. So the Belgian colonial authorities, the Belgians, as far as like colonialists are concerned, sure. were the most awful. Okay. They were brutal. You know, you don't think about that. Yeah. So actually, so I saw. Where it did they go? In Africa? In Africa. So, yeah. Okay. So basically, when you look in Africa, the yeah. places that have the worst genocides oh. were Belgian colonies at first. Really? There's actually a political cartoon I, I saw a couple of days ago where it's four panels. Yeah. And it, it's broken up by like the country that's the colonial. So there's like the German panel where mm-hmm. it's a bunch of like tribesmen marching. Okay. Because the Germans are just like making it more efficient. The. British I mean, panel. let's be honest. It's all bad. It's all bad. It's yeah, all bad, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. bad in different ways. Yeah. The British one was them squeezing money out of somebody because okay. it was just like raping the land for money. The French one was a Frenchman kissing a tribesman because mm-hmm. they were just known to like mingle and procreate mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and have sex with the colonies. This sounds like a hilarious cartoon. It is. And then the Belgian one is a person that is eating a tribesman because they were just cannibalistic and horrible. Mm. So they started using phrenology to justify why the Tutsis were better than the, the Hutus mm. and started to develop Sudan? laws. Yeah, uh, Rwanda. Rwanda. And they began to create laws around Those that. fucking people have been just subjected. Yes. Ugh. But that's the groundwork to the later genocide in Hotel Rwanda and Denzel Ugh. getting the Oscar and stuff like that. That wasn't Denzel. That was Don Cheadle. Was it? Yeah. Oh, I love Don Cheadle. You're a racist. No, I love them both. Caught you. Oops. So in racism around this time, they, they began to use the skull to prove, quote unquote, prove certain races have bumps here, which means that they don't have free will or they're not mm. as intelligent or they're more subservient. They used it as a way to to breed slaves with each other. It's just like 
we should do an episode on like the different iterations of racist psychology. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. And now it's IQ. Yeah, IQ is a big one. Yeah. But so this was a huge one where they, they did things like they would show skulls and be like, this is a Caucasian skull. It's beautiful. Here's an African skull. It's, it's okay. And um, they also used it for gender norms. So they found that sure. female skulls, they tend to have a larger structure in the back uh-huh. which they then were like oh you know what that means that means you're better at raising children which is why you shouldn't go to work because your skulls are different and in the u.s south they used it to justify slavery so whenever there's any anti-slave movements oh, they'd be just... like no science says slaves have bumps here which means they like slavery if we basically they, they would actually use it to say we are doing more harm by freeing them because their skulls say that they were they're <laughs> so shitty it is so shitty they would also use this in education so with children they would map their bumps and they would break them into categories like slow learners disorderlies and Mm -hmm. stuff like that but also in criminology was a big one where if you got arrested they would do brain mapping and bump mapping and Mm -hmm. basically choose your punishment based on that jesus and so if your skull showed neglect they would then use rewards and punishments and religion to be like, oh, you can rehabilitate. Hmm. But if your bumps said you are a brute or an insane person or a moron. Yeah, we don't really use brute. Basically, that's their version of antisocial. Yeah. But the different brain patterns would get a different punishment. So the the judge would like massage your scalp and be like, Hmm. oh, no, here, this guy's an idiot. He's got to go to a loony bin. And then they would... Good thing the judges were trained. I know. But then they would use that to justify punishments and things like that. Yeah. As science got better and scientists got more vocal, this has fallen out of fashion to where now it's just a hipster mantelpiece Mm -hmm. as a tribute to the history of racism and hate. As science got better and we got (laughs) anti-vaxxers. Solid. I mean, seriously, right? Like, honestly, this wave of like pseudoscience just got replaced by a different wave of pseudoscience. I always love when people are like aggressively poo pooing one pseudoscience while touting another one. Aggressively pooping. They're, yeah. <laughs> I've definitely heard people do that before. Is that good? That's a rip psycho. Is that good? Is oh, that good? You like us now? <laughs> do you rip. like us? It's a mini sode. Mini sode. Okay. Love you. Love you. Bye. bye.